0: Welcome to episode 190 of the Energy Talks podcast. I'm energy and climate journalist, Markham Hislop. Well, two weeks ago, the Alberta government put a seven-month moratorium on wind and solar development. It has been hugely controversial. Uh, You can go to either energy.media, or website, and see some of the stuff we've done there. We've also, you can check out our YouTube channel, uh, Energy Media, uh, for interviews that we've done about it. And we're going to do one more. Uh, because the ostensible reason for the mor- moratorium was that there were the uh, Alberta uh, Utilities Commission, which is the regulator in question, and the Alberta Electricity System Operator, uh, which is operates the power grid. Uh, those two, uh, according to Premier Danielle Smith, had sent letters and asked for a pause while we sorted out some issues that we'll be talking about shortly. And it turned out that that was pretty much nonsense because the two letters are public and, and they've been examined. Reporters have asked the premier questions about them and she doesn't have any answers. So it looks like this is pretty much a, a ginned up uh, kind of uh, a a, uh, a policy uh, initiative. So, But the fact that the land use and wind and solar asset rec- reclamation were used as ex- excuses this is still going to be addressed in some way by the government. And that's why I'm going to talk to Mark Dorn, who's an Alberta lands rights and administrative law expert, about the difference between, uh, well, the difference, what the Alberta Utilities Commission uh, does, uh, what its responsibilities and processes are, what its authorities are in this case. So welcome to the interview, Mark.
1: Glad to join you, Markham.
0: Now, I interviewed you a number of times for... Part one and two of the unethical oil series because this was that was about the Alberta Energy Regulator, which deals with oil and gas. This is the Utilities Commission deals with on the electric uh, the power grid. Uh diff so different regulator. And give me, let's just start with an overview question. Give me your take on this moratorium.
1: Well, I think that you've hit the nail on the head uh at the start. Uh it isn't really because these regulators uh she's said the Alberta she meaning the premier has said it's the uh Alberta Utilities Commission and the Alberta Electric System Operator that asked for them but that doesn't appear to be the case but but i think that uh the you know the two things that were cited were number 1 um the let's say pushback from landowners about the use of good farmland for activities obviously like, like solar that take a large area that's the first one and the second one is um security requirements end of life security requirements and that one uh, you know unlike for oil and gas where the alberta energy regulator has jurisdiction to take security and to deal with what we call end of life or security or reclamation or even even contamination of land issues, all done under the Environmental Protection and Enhancement Act. It's with the Alberta Energy Regulator, unlike the Alberta Utilities Commission, is what they call a one-stop shop, a super regulator that has far more powers. And so the AUC has limited powers, which don't extend to security deposits, don't extend to land use reclamation matters. Those are done by Alberta Environment and Protected Places for everything except oil and gas. And so that's where the confusion arises from, in my opinion. So that doesn't mean that there's not a body or an agency with the authority to deal with the security. It just means that it can't be dealt dealt with in a hearing conducted solely by the alberta utilities commission as to approval for a renewable proposed project if you will
0: now one of the things that i've noticed in going through aer documents is that when issues come up that ness aren't necessarily dealt with clearly uh in in the policy and regulations that the government provides to the aer because that's what the aer's government uh, sorry aer's responsibility uh, its duty is to, is to enforce the policy and regulations that the government sets down. And so when things arise, the gov- the regulator will say to the government, we need you to give us new policy or we need you to clarify this policy so that we know exactly what it is that we're supposed to do. And all of this takes place, nobody ever pauses oil and gas development while new policy is being developed. They just, you know, and in, in fact, there's a process involved usually, it used to be that the the industry and the regulator, uh, basically, were, the, the industry was the only one consulted. They would have committees and they, you know, now it's a little different. There's this, the group of stakeholders that gets consulted is a little wider. Uh, whether they have any influence or not is uh, is another question. But nevertheless, so there's a process of consultation. Then the the, the government will put, you know, draft its policy and regulations, and then send them down to the AR and say, "Okay, here we go. This is, you know, what we want you to do, like the inventory management reduction program, uh, that sort of thing." Um, so, in theory, could the government not have followed a similar process if it felt that new policy and regulations were needed? To, for the, to guide the AUC or to direct the AUC in dealing with land use and reclamation issues?
1: Well, let me first clarify that in my humble view, it's improper for the government in most instances to give policy direction to any regulator. And it's absolutely imp- improper for the chair of the AUC to be asking for direction from anyone in government. We are in a democracy. We're supposed to have separation of powers. The AUC is a quasi-judicial authority. It's like a court, should not be interfered with. Its job is to independently and fairly decide the project, a solar project, a renewable project, a power line project, etc., on its merits according to the written law. Not according to the government's whims of the day, they can change every five minutes. That's what Banana republics do, and we're supposed to not be one. So I think that that's where the initial, uh, you know, now the Alberta Energy Regulator says right in its uh, on its website and in its documents that its mandate is to carry out the policy of the government. This is incorrect. This is the problem we have in Alberta. So, and this is my view, uh, you might want to introduce, you know, interview some uh, legal professors on that, but it's it's a discussion I've tried to get going, but can't get going. But so, you know, what we have, that's why we have these tribunals is to decide things fairly according to law. And so that's so that there's a level playing field, so that a, a proponent can't interfere, government can't interfere, a landowner can't interfere, a special interest group can't interfere unless they actually take part in that hearing, okay? So that's, so that's, I would clarify that. And so so if if we're clarified in that way, then things take on a whole different light. And we say this, this request from the AOE or this complaint or this request for policy direction shouldn't have occurred in the first place. They should have just conducted the hearing. Um,
0: uh, okay. Okay. Let Let's Let's work on the assumption that you're correct, because that opens up. On, sure. Absolutely. Yeah. We get into that discussion, we'll get sidetracked, and we'll we'll never get back to the AUC. Okay. Right. So so let's so in this case, if the government decided that new rules were needed. Then it should have, what it should have done is introduce new legislation in, in the House and go through the process of in, sorry, into the legislature and and go through the the regular process of getting a, a bill passed. Correct?
1: Bingo, that's the correct place to debate law is openly in the legislature before the elected members of uh, of the legislature, unless there is the one exception. So if under a law that's uh, that's a law that's in the regulators enabling statute. And this, this is the fact in Alberta, they do say that they do say that a regulator such as they are, or the AUC has the power to enact its own certain rules in limited areas. And this is because those tribunals are deemed to have more expertise in a, an area like energy. And then this is reasonable. And so, so they can make certain rules and the AAR does make certain rules because it says in its enabling statutes that it can, for example, for security deposits. And so, so if they're granted that power in their statute, then they have that power. But so, so we, we need to understand that these regulators are not like courts and ministers are not like courts that have an inherent broad jurisdiction. They can only do that which their enabling statute allows them to do. So we have to read these statutes very carefully and because there's so many of them and so many regulations. Landowners get confused. Municipalities get confused. They argue things in AUC or hearings that perhaps they shouldn't be arguing. And the AUC can deal with that, but it chooses not to. And it may be just a request to be more like the, the AR and have broader powers. So gotcha. Now you've mentioned a couple times tribunals,
0: and uh, in our conversations about the AAR, the AAR can hold hearings. Very rarely does. Yes. The AUC does hold many hearings, and so maybe yes. you can describe uh, describe for us what these uh, tribunals are and and why they hold hearings and and so on.
1: Well, that differs between the two bodies. So first of all, the, the AAR's enabling statute, which is called the Responsible Energy Development Act, specifically grants powers to the AAR that the AUC doesn't have to decide things without hearings. But there's other backup things in the AAR statute. They're called regulatory appeal, they're called reconsideration, et cetera. So that the the premise over at the AAR is that, you know, you can make a decision without a hearing provided that if someone who's filed a statement of concern Finds that there's a problem with that decision later, they can get a, a, an easy appeal. And I've I've done those, those are becoming more common because people are starting to learn, I guess. And certainly all companies are asking for regulatory appeals. So they're, they're becoming a bit more common just because people are getting used to a different system, if you will. But at the AR, that or sorry, at the AUC, it's a bit different. Um they're, they so they will grant what's called intervenor status which is called participatory status or standing at the AR so it's the same thing really so uh but but you know if you ask for a hearing at the AUC as, say a, a, a landowner adjacent to a proposed solar farm you'll get a hearing if you're within a certain distance uh, and then you're an, entitled to to raise your objection. If you're if you're opposed to an oil well at the AR and you raise an objection, chances are they'll ignore it and issue the license anyway without a hearing, and then you will have to try to get an appeal process going. So that's the difference.
0: Okay, so if I understand this correctly, um, let's say that a, a a solar farm is proposed mm-hmm. for some area, and it's it's lo- the local folks uh, think that it's a good agricultural land shouldn't be used for for solar. They actually can be heard. They, Absolutely. They, because, they, and
1: here's the test, uh, and it's the same test regardless of who the body is. So if there's potential for someone's right to be directly and adversely affected, and, and you only have to show potential, you don't have to show that your right will be uh, directly at adverse effect, then you must be heard. That's the common law test. The AR ignores that test on a regular basis, which is most improper. And and if they're going to do that, then you should be able to get uh, when circumstances change or if you show that there's some sort of an error made, you should be able to get appeal or what's called a reconsideration proceeding. So remember in TMX, we had the reconsideration because they didn't consult the uh, Indigenous groups. So there was a reconsideration in a Trans Mountain Pipeline federal hearing. Do you remember that? That's Uh, the same sort of principle.
0: Same principle, right? It, 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 so, that, but, that but the AR
1: doesn't... will not conduct reconsiderations. And in my view, unless both of these review procedures are available to everyone, then they should be holding hearings for every they got two choices hold a hearing for every single well licensed and reclamation certificate application or grant the reviews when there's a potential for an error to have been made.
0: Okay. Well I don't you want to have much... it both
1: ways. You can't deny both.
0: <laughs> I don't want to spend too much time on the AR because we're talking about the AUC here. Yep. So if it does every project that comes before the AUC, at least every wind and solar project uh, is, is is there a, a required hearing?
1: No. No, only if someone raises an objection who has a right that's potentially adversely uh, directly and adversely affected and if they apply for intervenor status which is same as asking for a hearing at the AR they have different terms for the same thing which confuses the hell out of everybody so and if you successfully show to the AUC that you have a right that they should you should be heard then they will in fact, conduct a hearing. So, but they, they, they dumb that down. They just say, if you're within 800 meters, for example, of a proposed solar project, we're going to give you a hearing. That's what they do. Oh. This is really not the right test, but that's it's similar to the right test.
0: Okay. So if I remember correctly, you said earlier that the AUC does not have a legislative authority to deal with reclamation issues. So you're not going Correct. to get a hearing. You're not going to get a hearing because you Know, uh, farmer B is worried about the solar panel, a solar farm going up on farmer A's land, uh, and worried about what it's going to happen 25 years down the road. The AUC is not going to listen to that. But on the use of agricultural land, uh, then that might be granted uh, a hearing. And anybody who's within 800 meters can go and and talk and complain and and raise these kind these kinds of issues and the AUC has the right to grant or not grant correct they have the
1: discretion to grant they have the discretion exactly so well what, here's what's happened in Alberta is that that you know it, it's best to form a group which landowners are doing and you know sometimes they may even group in with a municipality but but so landowners that are next to these solar farms would form a group and get together, hire a law firm, and as a group would oppose. And there might be more than one a group. And so this is quite common in the past in power lines and other hearings of the AUC where it's involving large numbers of people. So you can, you know, for example, if you're going to put a big old power line across the province like they did in 2012, you know, there was maybe half a dozen different groups from different parts of the province that that had their own unique things, and so. Uh, they, they, they encourage these groups so that people don't make the same arguments and their arguments aren't duplicated. And, you know, the cost of the hearing for everyone is less, etc. cetera. But, but yeah, that, that's how they work things. And so, but if you, I mean, anyone can raise whatever they like in one of these hearings, but that doesn't mean that the AUC has the power to decide the issue raised. And so if the issue is end of life reclamation, they see as no power there. But what they do have power to do, and I've asked them to do this, and I've asked the AAR to do this, they can invite uh, another body that's constituted or another board to join them on the panel. End of problem solved if you have a joint hearing with Alberta Environment and AUC. Alberta Environment decides the end of life, and the AUC decides whether the project's in the public interest. There's no jurisdictional challenge later, no way to appeal it on an error of jurisdiction because they have combined jurisdiction. So the key to the AUC letter is this overlapping jurisdiction. So these bodies have jurisdictions that are separate but somewhat overlapping. And what they tend to do is when they approach the limits of their jurisdictional powers, they intend to they tend to back off and then the other body's backing off and what we get in alberta huge problem gigantic problem arguably the biggest problem we have in administrative law is something i call jurisdictional black holes so where these boards are afraid to see if you exceed your jurisdiction the the license permit or other approval it's 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 void ab initio and it means from the start so it's retroactively void and i've argued lots of these so, so they have to be careful not to exceed their jurisdiction. So, so what they do is they they are overly careful sometimes. So, but the, the the answer is cooperative proceedings. We've asked for them, we're not getting them, and that's what they should be doing. And if we would just do cooperative proceedings, all these problems that the AUC is talking about go away.
0: Okay, so again, <clears throat> there it exists within the the law within the. Uh, there's a process in place that could be used to resolve these issues. And yep. what what I keep hearing you say, Mark, or at least I, my inference from them is that if there was a competent government uh, you know that said, oh okay, look our our rural voters, our rural constituents are raising these issues. We think they're legitimate issues. Let's go back. Take a look at the legislative powers that the AUC has, the Alberta Environment has. Maybe there are other bodies. I don't know, but let's just check, figure this all out, and come up with a way, uh, with a process. Uh, and you mentioned one: the, the cooperative hearings. That that would do, would would do it. And let's now go forward with a solution that will address these issues that that the landowners have raised.
1: Absolutely. And you know, let me put it a different way. We have some really wise legislators in the past. We've had decades of legislations that we passed these laws. And when they put something in like corporate proceedings, there's a reason for it. They're, they're, what they're doing is they're looking forward and saying, hey, what if this problem arises in future? Hey, we're going to give this toolbox to this quasi-judicial body. It's just like a mechanics toolbox. But if you take his hammer out, well, he might, or his wrench out, he might have a problem. So, you know pick up the hammer that's cooperative proceedings and solve the problem you know uh, but don't run to the government and say we're having a problem when you don't really when you haven't used all the tools in your toolbox it's pretty simple it's pretty yeah. these boards get stuck in their ways uh, these boards get influenced by lawyers from both sides to be honest but mostly lawyers from industry uh, they'll argue against a cooperative proceeding and you know uh, so the AUC has said, in, 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 and I took it to the Court of Appeal, and, and I, I, I lost the case, but the Court of Appeal said that I was correct jurisdictionally. And so, okay. uh, they, they, but, but, but but you know, when I asked for a cooperative proceeding, or when I've told the AUC you're about to make a, a jurisdictional error, please don't do it, they went ahead and did it, and then you got to go with the appeal court. So,
0: okay. I want to raise another issue here, because this is important. Uh In with oil and gas under the Surface Rights Act, and I know you're going to bring a caveat up because you brought it up in the last interview we did about this. But as a rule, uh, a a farmer, a land, a rural landowner cannot say no to an oil and gas company that wants to put, wants to drill a well on their land. Uh, They
1: can't successfully say no. Uh, There's a big difference. So yeah, here's in a nutshell, really simple. Certain activities you can force your way on to the land if you have a license permit or other approval from either the AER or the AUC. And the landowner says, no, you can force your way on through something called a right of entry order. But the conventional wisdom is you can't get a right of entry order for solar or wind farms yet. And so, therefore, these proponents of solar farms they already have the consent of the landowner that's the key that's, go. that's the it. key it's the huge difference whereas in in at the AR they may or may not have the consent of the landowner so if they have a consent of the landowner they'll often apply for what's called a, just a standard or or a standard approval and and that's a rubber stamp because there's no one objecting so okay here's your license but but if there is someone objecting then the the, the issue of should we have a hearing becomes very critical. Okay, now here's why it's so important to have these hearings at the AUC or the AER, and this is extremely important. This is probably the most important thing in all of surface rights in Alberta, and it's this. The courts of appeal have ruled that although the Land and Property Rights Tribunal issues right of inch orders forcing the way onto land on behalf of the operator, It's formerly the Surface Rights Board, now called the Land and Property Rights Tribunal. Although they issue the order and the only ones can issue the order, the courts have ruled that it's really the AUC or really the AER that make that decision. And therefore, the Land and Property Rights Tribunal say, is there a license? If so, we're not giving you a hearing either, because you've had your hearing at the AUC or the AER. But in reality, in Alberta, we're not getting hearings as landowners at the AER or the tribunal. And that's really, really bad. You follow me? You I, follow- I really
0: don't. And I'm going to, I just, so I'm going okay, to. Okay. Well, the point
1: is, is that if the AUC says, here's the license, or the AR says, here's your license, you you can go to the land and property rights tribunal and force your way onto someone's land and they can never, ever, ever have their Right. okay. That I understand raised because the Sur- Surface Rights Board says, or the land and property rights tribunal says, because the courts have said that the proper place to object to a right of inch order is in a hearing of the AUC or the are not in front of the tribunal that actually issues that order. It's but is, isn't this order.
0: a bit of a red herring here? Because we no, it's not have... a red herring at all. Oh, hang on a second. Let me finish the question. <laughs> Let me finish the question. I, I say red herring because we already have a consenting owner.
1: Yeah, but. But this is the whole thing. So it depends on the activity. So we've got numerous energy activities. Some you can force your way onto someone else's land with, some you can't. Uh, they, they're all treated differently. For each activity, someone different makes numerous different decisions, and we've got mass confusion. We've got confusion on the boards that are making decisions. We've got confusion, absolutely, in municipalities. We've got dozens of municipalities. Some of them are just tiny little corporations. How are they supposed to know the laws of Alberta? They don't have any lawyers working for them. And we've got confusion with the government ministers, we've got confusion everywhere. It's just mass confusion. That's what we have in Alberta, oh, in okay, administrative it. law. It's oh, mass confusion. So these things may or may not come up, come up in any hearing. Lawyers may be arguing them. Representatives may be arguing what they shouldn't be arguing in a case. And so they, you see, saying, hey, we're overloaded. You got to do something about this. When in fact, they should just be putting in their decisions or telling the People that are making the argument, and I watch these hearings. I watch the AUC chair say to a representative of of a county, uh, "Sorry, you're way out of line. We can't do that. Quit asking us to do that." That doesn't mean the municipality can't do it, etc. So, so they're used to doing what's required in power lines or oil and gas wells, but not necessarily solar and wind. And therefore, it you know it takes some sorting through to get to get through all these matters.
0: Okay so we have a regulator the regulator has a process the the uh, the rules are not clearly understood there's a lot of confusion uh but we do have a willing seller or a willing lessor uh, uh who is leasing his his land or leasing rights to that land uh yeah. to the to the wind and solar developer um so it's not quite like like oil and gas uh but what i'm hearing uh mark is that there is nothing here that couldn't be resolved through normal channels, whether that be a process that eventually leads to the new legislation, whether that's a process that leads to somehow clarifying the AUC rules or how they' or how they're going to deal with wind and solar projects, uh, there, there, there really is no rational uh, basis upon which to pause, uh, or how, declare a moratorium on wind and solar for seven months?
1: Uh, no, unless, there's one exception, unless the government of the day has decided they want to do something but have no law to do it under. So, and in my opinion, that's what's going on here. So, so there's well, no- so what,
0: what is it they want to do? I don't there's understand. no clear
1: law that says you can't use good farmland for solar. That's the issue here. And in, in Monday's press conference, the premier clearly came out And all but said, she's already decided we're not going to use good farmland for solar. And therefore, we're going to pause everything because, hey, half a dozen, 10, 12, 15 good uh, proposals on farmland might go through in the meantime. That's the only possible reason for a moratorium based on the issues that were raised by the AUC to the Minister Newdorf in the subject letter on on July 21st. That's the only possible reason in my view. So uh, you're right, we have more than enough process here, but here's the problem, here's the problem. If you're an oil and gas company and you want to drill a well here, you simply pull a string and you get what you want. That's what happened to my parents in 1977. There was a rig standing by. It costs money to go through due process of law. So let's just issue the license out the back door. That's what we do in Alberta. That's why I say we have unethical oil here. That's why I say the big hydrogen money from Europe is never going to come here. Not in a million years because they don't want to pay for all that they, they, they're going to take over all this bad gas infrastructure and have to pay through the orphan program, or maybe the orphan program goes out the window tomorrow at the whim of some future premier. Cause that's how we do things in Alberta. We have to get back to proper administrative decision-making according to the rule of law, or we're not going to get anybody, but the little broke investors that are pulling the strings in Calgary, calling the shots. That's what's going on today.
0: Okay. So uh we have process. we have the, the a regulator that uh, has legislation, uh, a legislative mandate that would enable it to to deal with this. We have process, we have tribunals. We we what we don't have is a uh, a way for the government to achieve its political goal, which was to satisfy the their rural supporters who are mad because wind and solar farms are taking up good, Quote unquote, good We farmland.
1: do, in fact, have a way, and you've already identified it. Uh, convene a session of the legislature, introduce a bill, and change the whatever act, that hydroelectric and energy act, so that you can't put good solar on good farmland, do it through that's due process of law. That's how we're supposed to make laws here. So, you know we don't just do things willy-nilly and just because we got a majority hell let's just skip the step of passing the law or the regulation and the, the debate in the in the house so that people know what's going on and just cut right to it uh that's not okay how but we, hang on is-
0: hang on hang on hang on i want to make a point i want to wrap this up and i won't ask you to comment on it mark because uh, <laughs> you belong to the polluter pay federation and non-partisan and so what i'm going to say is is probably best you not comment on it. But my point here is that I've, I've interviewed people like political science professor Dwayne Brad. I've interviewed uh, law professors from the University of Calgary, Drew Uchuk and, and Sean Fluker and Martin Olashinsky. And there's a common theme that runs through these interviews. And uh, that's also true of other law professors about COVID and other, and other issues that we've reported on. And that is that the UCP government, both under Kenny and under Smith, is not a competent government. They don't conduct themselves in a in a manner that leads to good government. They're very often things that are done in a haphazard way. They're done in an uneth- un, un, unethical or unusual, unconventional way. They skip steps. They just they you know they they do what they've done here basically. They take a shortcut. And instead of doing the right thing, the hard thing, which takes work and you've got to, you know, put in price consultation processes and draft legislation and put it through the the legislature and all of that, which is hard work. They take the easy way out from their point of view. And this is a theme that pops up over and over and over again with this government. And that's the problem. That's the thing I wanted to point out. And the only time I I can think of an exception to this, which you can comment on because this falls in your bailiwick. And that's the uh, the 2020 land uh, management framework that they brought in uh for that eventually for conventional oil and gas that then led to the 2020 inventory reduction program that dealt with it's dealing with inactive wells and and re, and getting some wells, uh, more wells reclaimed than has been in in the past. My point here is that that process was started back in 2017. And it was set up. there was there was a process, there was consultation with various stakeholders. and uh, give the UCP credit for this, is they let that process play out the way they should have. So, you know, know,
1: yeah, we're talking about the liability new my management framework. And I I don't really think their consultation process worked at all because I was a big part of it, but, uh, but they did pass rules, but they did do that properly. They did make rules first. And so they, you know, here, we're not doing that here. We're not doing that. Uh, So, you know, you know, but but you know, I think we're agreed that, that you know you you've got to pass laws and regulations properly, and that's the way to do it here. And and so either let's have all these boards operating in the same fashion, or you know like. I think what's going on, the AUC saying, hey, we, we want to be more like the uh, AER. So let's be clear. The only one industry lobbied for a one-window shop, one-stop shop, where they can get everything except the right of entry order from the Alberta Energy Regulator. And that's oil my gas because they're the powerful lobby in this province. But renewables don't have a powerful lobby. If they did, they might lobby to get the... You know, a, a change to the Alberta Utilities Commission Act so that they can uh, decide reclamation deposits, but right now they don't have that power. So, you know, and here there's another factor: land use decisions are usually made by municipalities under the Municipal Government Act. They're the ones that do zoning, and but energy trumps that. So, but there they do have some shared powers here under renewables, and they want a new tax base. So it's a power struggle. Municipal municipalities don't like giving up all their powers for approval to the provincial government or to the AUC or the AER. And so, you know, let's let's be clear here. The Rural Municipal Association has made a really successful lobby to stop land use on good agricultural land. That's what's happened here. Whoever has the strong lobby in Alberta often gets what they want. So, you know, I think your comments, and I I can make political, as as someone in the Polluter Pay Federation who number one position is let's always do things according to the rule of law, we can speak out when things are not being done according to the rule of law. That's one of our primary uh, things. And so, um, you know, we have to have due process of law. We have to have these tribunals making proper decisions so that they're appealable, so that everyone can have a level playing field Otherwise, we're a banana republic. You don't call up the minister and say, "I want to drill a well here. I want a solar farm there." Would you please make sure that happens? Would you put a bug in the AUCZ or the zero But that's reality in Alberta. That's or you what get, we get. Or here. you
0: get, or you get the rural municipalities. Yeah, and, and if we don't like it,
1: we just start something like TBA. You know, if we don't like it, we 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 we, we try to impose minimum rule within a party or even within a whole entire government. Uh, So, you know, we've gone so far astray from the rule of law in Alberta that we simply can't find our way back. Okay, on that note, on that
0: note, Mark, thank you very much for this. Uh, I'm a little clearer now than I was before we started this conversation, and we'll see how this goes, might have you back, uh, depending on what happens over the next you know, X number of months as the government deals with this, might have you back for another conversation. Thank you very much.
1: Thanks for having me. And uh, these are complicated issues, uh, always with energy. That's the whole problem. Uh, You know, people need to be educated and through education, they become simplified.